0: On this very special, Dudes of Kung Fu, Alex and I discuss the focus and purpose of drills in martial arts, progressive training, and also, is Bruce Lee the father of MMA? On top of that, we also discuss the recent defeat of a traditional martial artist by a Chinese MMA guy. I hope you guys enjoy it. I know Alex and I did. Here we go. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello everybody and welcome to, I don't oh, know, what, you didn't even uh, check it, <laughs> episode 9, episode
0: episode nine. <laughs> of season 3 of Dudes of Kung Fu. Oh man, how are you Alex? Pretty cool, it's, uh, it's nice to be here, uh, we very rarely do this, we've only done this two times before. Yeah. We actually did the podcast where we were actually next to each other, the very first one, our pilot. And then we did the live one at my school. Like, what, was that back in season two, or was that still season that was, one? That
1: was season two, I think. Right. And I want to thank you for tonight for wearing those yellow, not wearing those yellow shorts because they were very distracting. Oh, that's right, I forgot those special
0: yellow shorts. Well, I'm also quite distracted because you are wearing open toed flip flops here for the podcast. Uh,
1: says the man with friggin' Ajax hair. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So anyway, uh, we decided to you know see each other because every every now and again it's kind of a good thing to actually meet your podcast co host
1: (laughs) once a year like clockwork. I stomach them.
0: (laughs) And then so uh, we decided to do this podcast uh, live and also uh, uh, together in the same room. So we're sharing the same mic, the famous Yeti mic of Big Sean. So (laughs) very cool. We're
1: sharing Big Sean's Yeti mic. That's as far as we're going with that for so
0: everybody watching
1: on YouTube there's a little chat room on there that uh if you ask
0: questions we may not ignore them <laughs> we and may we, we not may, ignore them or we may not so it's, uh yeah and the the feedback from our last episode was was pretty pretty intense on on, on the loyalty uh issue i I'd, i thought it would be kind of like a slow one uh, what what did uh did you get any feedback on that one
1: you, you know um we did get a lot of feedback on that. Oddly enough, more than a few people, I think I had like three or four people that actually thought we were speaking about them. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, you know, really good, 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 uh, I don't know the right word. Nature? Like Good-intentioned people. Uh-huh. Like, they were like, oh, you know, I, the, the, I had, a, they're like, one guy, like, was like, you know, what, I had that same exact problem with my Sifu. Did he kind of tell you about it? And I'm like, no, this is... I don't know anything about your situation. And in fact, it was, the, the, what we spoke about wasn't anything that's happened to either Alex and I. It was more of just a... Uh, kind of
0: general issues general that arrive issues. in the martial arts scene. Things we've heard and, you know, things that happen. But yeah, it wasn't directed at anyone specifically. That'd be... Can, I'm, although I'm sure we could do that podcast as well. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, we could spend some
1: serious time on people.
0: Yeah, because I think for the most part, I mean, if we want to talk about somebody, I think we'll just say it. You know, um, we we don't have to we don't have to kind of pretend like we're you know right. talking about people when we're not or whatever. So yeah. <clears throat> so so the numbers
1: are doing awesome for the podcast. We want to thank you guys. Um, you you guys, the downloads have been fantastic, and we really appreciate. We also appreciate all the uh, positive feedback. And Are the you, negative feedback. And the negative feedback. That helps. I know he's still here
0: with the negative feedback. I get it. But, um, you know, but we, I got to You know, we can do it like what they did on Saturday Night Live with uh, Andy Kaufman back in the 70s. We can have a vote and they could vote whether I get to stay or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, didn't Saturday Night Live do a thing with um, Eddie Murphy and the lobster? They had a live lobster. And they said people can call in whether they're going to cook The lobster. Oh, really? (laughs) Or let the lobster go (laughs) by the end of the show. And they ended up cooking the lobster, (laughs) and it pissed off everybody. (laughs) You know, we could probably do that with one of our students. Yeah, we could probably do that. By the
0: end of the episode, whether we get to kill them or not. The only thing is, if if they vote me off, I mean, who, who would you get to replace me? You're irreplaceable. I tried.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anthony, you're a replacement. That's it. I need a Wing Chun guy. You're (laughs) right.
0: Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he actually did uh, uh, fill in for me one one time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. That's fine. I I could think of other ways to dedicate my Friday and Saturday (laughs) nights talking to you for an hour. (laughs) You're irreplaceable. We both know that. I tried. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) I appreciate it. So, uh, cool. And uh, so tonight, we are going to uh, discuss... Something a little bit not, not not really a direct topic like the way we've been doing.
1: Well, yeah, no, in a way it is. Cause, so we spent um, six episodes speaking about the forms of Wing Chun. And we were, we want to talk a little bit about the drills of both Jikundo and Wing Chun and people's focus on them. And what's some, you know, the primary focus, secondary focus, and distractions.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and I think also um, part of that too is, in, in a very similar vein to the forms podcast that we do, kind of maybe give the idea of what, what we believe the drills and exercises are in, in the various arts and what they're important for, what, they're, what they don't replace, and maybe give a little bit of context into you know why maybe um, people should pay a little more attention to training them a little more seriously.
1: Right, and the, and, and, the, yeah, and the actual intent of the drills. like, so in, um, for so many years, I looked at the, what was what I was taught as a beginner drill, uh, Dan Chi Sao, go ahead, correct me.
0: Oh, it's good enough. I okay. understood what you were trying to say. So, Dan Chi Sao. Oh, God, it's when you try to go Chinese that it hurts. <laughs> so, You're better off just saying it like New York, so Dan Chi Sao. You dan know? Qi sao. I so, got you Dan Chi Sao right here. <laughs>
1: So like so for, for so long, I you know was taught and under the impression that you know Don Chi Sao is just an idea of a beginner exercise or the pock sao drill, um not jkd pox sao where like you're like that high outside reference point, but just the idea of one person throwing punches and the other person just hitting pox as as a drill just to learn and refine pox when there could be so much more to it and I think people lose focus on what the intent of the drills could be or at least where intelligent practitioners and instructors can take drills as opposed to just looking them looking at them as something basic like you know um if you look at poxxa drill and if you if you and get away from the idea of it just being a, a i know I'm, i know you know this i'm just like people if they can get away from the idea of it just being a basic drill to learn how to pox out and look at it as more of a timing drill that you know for entering so if you do the pox out at at, at a distance and and you're and you and you look at it as a time for entering it becomes a a, a drill on, on on a much higher level than what it's presented at you know and right. and i think people get so into
0: the idea that it's a beginner drill that they want to jazz it up sure 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 also i think because especially if the drill seems kind of simple and for the most parts drills should be simple because right. overly complicated stuff is not really going to work under pressure anyway um people think okay well i already got that so what's next as if just learning how to execute the drill in its most basic form. Was the entire purpose of the drill. And it's like, oh, well, you can do it in the air now. Now go on to the next thing, you know, as opposed to people trying to learn the lessons that the drill is trying to teach. They think they just need to learn a bunch of drills, right? Right. And, and so that tends to be, I think, a big problem in Wing Chun. We've talked about it before. Uh, on kind of a funny side note this week, if we had an intro Come into our school in new york and i, I don 't teach the intro, so my assistants. they teach it and they um, one of my assistants came came up to me the other day and he said uh, actually because he had just listened to our loyalty podcast right okay and then um and then said you know um, it, was, it was kind of funny because in in a in a very similar vein, there was a student you know I, I talked about The guy who's always going to stab you in the back is the guy who says, oh, I'm your most loyal student. Right. You know, because loyalty is is a series of actions you do over time. It can't be faked. It's always like the students who are not convinced that they're going to be around have to tell you that they're going to be around as if that's their only currency for you to – want to teach them openly it's like well the reason i never taught that guy all my secrets is because he didn't tell me he was loyal like i mean that's ridiculous you right, know like right. you show me you're loyal you don't have to tell me you're loyal so anyway my, my student came up to me he's like yes yeah, if it's very similar to what you said on your podcast about you know uh people kind of almost trying to convince themselves out loud that there's something they might not be because in this case it wasn't somebody coming in and saying that they would be the most loyal one it was somebody coming in and saying that they're very humble which I also find a very yeah, like, awesome yeah, yeah yeah like like this an old uh, there's an old European quote, I forget who it 's from, but it 's like H- humility is the highest form of conceit <laughs> you know because also and you see it a lot you see it in memes in martial art memes, and everyone 's talking about uh, you know how humble they are, or whatever, which is such a ridiculous thing because then they make humble like a, a be, they make humility almost like a contest which kind of goes against the whole point of right right oh like, yeah I'll,
1: I'll humble you man yeah yeah. it's like
0: yo bro my ego is like way smaller than yours you have no <laughs> idea right and it's like the mo- the moment you're competing about humility or the the puniness of your ego that's kind of an egotistical thing in right, any case, right, right? Right, sure. so anyway this guy was like yeah yeah you know what I'm super humble I'm ready to learn from the beginning and all that kind of stuff which is kind of funny because if they join our school that's what's going to happen anyway right, right. and then and then so he does the lesson you know, and during the intro lesson, like our intro instructor, you know, teaches him like basic punching and some stepping and some kind of self defense ideas with Wing Chun. And the guy's like, "Yeah, that was really great. That was amazing. Um, can you show me how to do something on the wooden dummy?" <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> it was like, "Yeah, I'm so humble. Just can you just show me that instead?" Right, right. <laughs> like, so can we he-
1: do the knives? Yeah.
0: Uh, Can you do the knives here? It was very funny. I think I might have mentioned mentioned this on the the podcast a long time ago in one of the very early seasons. But uh, in the very early days of the European Wing Chun organization, um, like in the 70s and 80s when my Sifu started teaching, you have to imagine in Germany in the 70s, the only thing that was around before Wing Chun came was like judo and karate. And uh, suddenly in the mid 70s, Larrington comes to Germany and starts teaching Wing Chun. So it's like super exotic in in the battlefield of karate and judo, right? So, of course, course, all the wannabe Kung Fu people come out of the woodwork. And, uh, you know, there were like two very funny stories. One Kung Fu guy comes to the castle where my, my Sifu taught, where I learned, and he goes, My Sifu can jump. Three meters. High. Of course, it's Europe, so they right. use the metric system, right? Uh, you know, can dr- you know, so it's like nine you know, over nine feet. Can tr- jump three meters into the air. That's how good he is. And my Siva just looked at him and said, "Well, in Wing Chun, we can only jump down three meters." <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other ones, the guy came in and he said, um, "Can you show me the double knives? I really, really, really want to see the double knives." My Siva says, "Yeah, they're right there on the wall." Right there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I think a similar thing exists. With tonight's topic, which is drills, you know, people sometimes think that uh, just having learned the drill is enough, and they're not necessarily willing to put in the time and effort. They want to learn the next thing, or put a variation, or do something else. Right.
1: That's where where the kung fu is, right? The the kung fu is in the hard work of the drills. You know, too many people look at um, what they're, let's say they learned their kung fu from their sifu, and they really didn't. Maybe they're introduced to something from your zifu, but the kung the kung fu you learn your kung fu through the hard work of the drills and your Hings and your training partners. That's where your you know that's where you that's where your kung fu comes from. You know your zifu can show you the drill, but unless you're paying attention to the drill and and understanding the intent of the drill and and following through and and not letting yourself get distracted by bullshit, that you know you're not gonna well you're not gonna learn it. I mean I know guys like and you know what I shouldn't say that. Although I do know, guys, myself included, you know, who here, when you learned lopsaw drill, got completely distracted with learning as many changes as you possibly can? You know, it's ha- it happens with guys, you know, and they 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 focus in on the changes in the lopsaw drill as opposed to the actual intent of the drill, you know, and and then they get then the they have to kind of always outdo the last change. And to to outdo the last change, they increase the complexity of the change, and it becomes a drill of changes as opposed to what the intent of the lopsided drill is. Right, right. You know what I mean? And they and then they lose focus. And I, and I, and especially in the Jikin do community, I see it. All, I see it all the time with um, drills that are uh, quote unquote absorbed from other arts, especially Wing Chun. J.K.D. people, I've said this before in the podcast, J.K.D. people love to fuck up a good Wing Chung drill. Right. You know, it's like, leave it to a J.K.D. person to take any drill that you can take and and just screw it up. I mean, uh, and oftentimes it's like like with Cheese Sao. You'll see guys do Chi Sao and they put on the MMA gloves and it kind of becomes Rock'em Sock'em Robot. Right. And the focus of Chi Sao then becomes... To win a cheese out, Right. As opposed to saying, I'm going to learn whatever, whatever lesson I'm going to be learning tonight. Uh, one of my guys loves to tell a story about one time I was working cheese out with him. And he was just hitting me in the chest all night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he actually said to me, we stopped. And he, and he said to me, he was like, are you okay tonight? He goes, because, you know, I'm really like, I'm taking you alive. Right. You know, you want to go into something else or... And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. All I was working on was getting my foot when I was taking that step forward to see if I can off balance you a little bit with, with the step. Right. Everything else I really didn't care about at this point. I was just trying to really just work on that one thing. Right. And then, he, and then he looked down and he realized that I was stepping basically between his legs every time I was stepping forward and kind of took a good position on him. Right. But if, if I let my ego get in the way sure. and worried about... Someone who was my student, who, quite frankly, between me and you can kick my ass, Um, if I was worrying about him hitting me in the chest, I wouldn't have been able to work on what I needed to work on. Sure. You know, I need to work on things. Your instructors need to work on things. You know, when Alex works with his students, He's teaching his students, but he's not going to teach himself bad habits, right. so he's working on things, yeah, you know absolutely. so and you always have to regain that focus as to what you're working on and not worrying about winning the drill
0: yeah, one hundred percent. I think the problem is that um <clears throat> maybe it's a, it's a matter of if if students also don't have an outlet for doing normal sparring, some kind of normal practical sparring, right. then every drill has to become that. And and it it, it tends up it tends to replace the competitive aspect that one would have more in a proper sparring exercise. And even sparring doesn't necessarily always need to be competitive. But it's like if they don't feel that they're testing themselves enough, then they're going to try to do it in every single drill. Right. And they usually do it at the expense of what the drill is trying to teach. Sure, them. absolutely. And, and and so and I, I you know struggle with this in in my school as well because um, the the learning system is known um maybe just among learning people i don't know is 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 being to a certain degree a a somewhat aggressive um expression of Wing chun and that's not entirely true but i I can understand why people would think that based on some of the videos and stuff that are, are shown um so sometimes i'll come into my school and i'll see like my high level guys and they have a tremendous uh, they, they have a, a, a tremendous opportunity that I didn't even have in the first few years of my school. When I first started teaching, I was already instructor level, but all of my students were beginners. So I had to work through all the beginner material while I was teaching beginners. Right. So I had to go over all this Tsunam Tao and Danchi and all the basic stuff and everything, which was great. And um, but I didn't have anybody at that time to train Buji and wooden dummy with. You know what I mean? Right. Um, although I had learned it, but I didn't have like regular training sure. partners. So basically, what I did over the years, besides you know obviously traveling and learning with other high level people, and 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 I had advanced training partners as well. But I basically built up a school of training partners for me. Right. Sure. And and, and so uh, I wanted to make sure that that they were that they got so good that they would start to give me a run for my money rather than what seems to be kind of ubiquitous in Chinese martial arts. It's like you hold some stuff back so that you always keep them a little bit under your level or whatever. Right, but right. then, then of course it's easy if I beat them up, you know, and sometimes right, right. my students, of course, because I'm their seafood, I, yeah. I say, come on, give me, give me a, like a pak da from chi, And they just go, and I'm like, come right. on, like, like, okay, well, I'm not just showing a drill, like, you know, really come and try to hit me. Right. And I have to sometimes remind them to do that so that I'm still practicing against honest attacks. and, I'll see my senior students, though. They, they have something I didn't have. I have so many high-level students now. They can come in and train with other people their level, people slightly higher level than them. And they can work on all this stuff step by step. And I didn't have a partner to do certain drills with. They have all the partners in the world. And the moment that two of them get their hands on each other, they just start trying to kill each other in sparring. And I just go, guys... You'd be a lot better at this kind of nonsense sparring thing you're trying to do if you just grabbed your partner and say, hey, let's, let's just do this one thing again and again and again. Get really, really, really good at that. Right. Once we're good at that, we can maybe add one more element. And then we can try to put this one thing we're doing into sparring. But no, they just like they get their hands on each other and they just want to kill each other. And I go... What I wouldn't have done to have had so many partners to train with when I began. And you guys are squandering it with just turning Qisou into kind of a death matching. And they know better because they learned from me, but there's still something inherent in human nature. Oh, you also know the thing I know. Let's just see who's better. The the, right. the the firstest with the mostest and the bestest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, ego plays a big part. I want to go on a
1: record of saying, Alex. Anytime you need someone to punch you in the fucking face, you let me know. <laughs> I am there for you. I'm, I'm, I'm there for you, bro. You don't. You, you wouldn't even have to ask twice.
0: <laughs> okay, you, Sean. Could you be oh, <laughs> all right? <laughs>
1: It may take me a while to get out of the chair, but once I'm there, I'm all in, bro.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. I
1: am all in, you know?
0: By the way, guys, for those of you who see me checking on my phone, because we are going live, I'm checking to see comments and questions and things like that. It's not that I'm already bored shitless with what Sean is saying.
1: Well, you are.
0: But- <laughs> like, the moment you start talking, I do this. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, somebody wants to know what bet I lost for my hair.
1: Yeah, I want to know that too, bro, because no, you know
0: no, what? No, no. Something's better, better left off the air. And then somebody wrote, uh, Kevin Dixon wrote, seems Alex found a Sherpa willing to take him to Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have to say, when I was making fun of like you know going to Staten Island in the early days, like, oh, you need a Sherpa to get out there. Well, for people who are familiar with New York City, you know, getting out to Staten Island is a pain in the ass. However, last year, I became an adult and I got a car. And that's made things a lot easier because I can now just drive here instead of having to find the eight Sherpas and going up the hill and then taking the little canoe over those, those, you know, over those lakes and stuff. So finally I can get here in a timely manner. Only took me an hour and 15 minutes. Now we got to build a wall. <laughs> yeah, build, build that wall. Build that wall. Take all that money they're saving on healthcare and build the wall. Oh. That island and the, and the real New York City.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Let's make the island great again. <laughs>
0: No one needs health care. We need a wall between, Staten, a wall between Staten Island and Manhattan.
1: Manhattan. <laughs> Keep Alex out.
0: Yes, perfect, perfect. Well,
1: uh, Alex has chosen not to talk about his, um, his bet that he lost, but I can tell you that it involved a Shetland pony, and that's it, you know.
0: <laughs> you told them? <that? laughs> How dare you? I didn't say you, what Sean? you did. I didn't say what you did. <laughs> so... uh on the topic of drills, so for example, one very iconic Wing Chun drill that nobody in the Yip Man Wing Chun lineage can agree on how it should be done, the Lapta drill, right? Right. the Lapta drill. Uh, you you, you know, ask 10 different Wing Chun instructors, you'll get you know, 13 different ways of how you should sure. do it. Um, but either way, it seems that regardless of how, like, the mechanics of how a diff- different styles interpret it, it's a pretty central idea to most of the Gitman Wing Chun. Um, so, for example, you can go and you can do the standard drill, which, whichever way you do it, or you can add a bunch of switches, and bells, and whistles, and things like that. And that might be appropriate at some point. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, at what point do we take, you know, fundamental exercise and. Uh, and, and then is it appropriate to start adding variations and things like that? Or does it matter on the exercise?
1: Right. Well, a couple of things. One, I mean, literally was just making a note to myself to say, I think we really got to stop calling these drill, the earlier drills basic. I really think fun, like, the word you use is perfect. Fundamentals. Yes. I think if, 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 if instructors can stop using the word basic and start using the word fundamental, yeah. I think the students will stop paying more attention to them.
0: Yeah, you might be right.
1: And speaking of paying attention, I didn't hear a word you fucking said. Huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you I heard lapdod, but... Yes, uh. right, right.
1: What was the question again?
0: Oh, the question was, so if we practice the lapdod drill, all right, um, you know, at, at what point does it make sense for us to start adding things onto fundamentals? So like, at what, at what level should a drill be before... Because obviously it can't be perfect because it's never going to be perfect. But at what level should a drill be before we say start adding switches and things like that? Because I know people, the moment you start showing them something, they go, oh, yeah, but, you know, on YouTube, so you can also do this, and then you can also do this thing, and you can also do this thing. It's right. like, um, let's just focus and do this thing first. Like, let's learn to be good at one thing instead of shitty at three things.
1: I think, I think it really, uh, obviously, it's based on the student. But I think a student should not only be able to verbalize what the drill, what the intent of the drill is they should be able to show it on a consistent basis before the next little grain is is shown. So I think the second you show a switch or anything that's quote-unquote fancy, that becomes the obsession because we all have egos and the egos want to do what what is perceived to be the latest and greatest thing. So if you just show them lapda without any switches and literally just have it when you're going to switch, okay, just switch. And, and let that be the focus of the drill, then when they are clearly at the level of... They can be a seeing... Uh, they can be a, a skilled level at a point where you would entrust them to teach that to somebody new. That's when I would start teaching them mm. the non-functional parts. Because in my opinion, the switches, well, you could... You can functionalize them in your head and say, oh, well, it's very good because if I get this, I can... Tons of. Most of the switches are just bullshit, yeah. in my opinion. They're there to fight boredom. And they can they, they serve some application. Don't get me wrong. I know they serve an application. But the application is just such a, a tangent away from the the initial, in my opinion, initial focus of the drill... That the set and, and our egos make it that we want to just run with these these switches. That the second we focus, the, the, the second we focus, give these switches.
0: That was my daughter running in, by the way, <laughs> who's adorable. Who just came skipping in and said, "Hi, Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? I mean, like, do you agree? Disagree? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think that um, there definitely needs to be a level of proficiency in an exercise before you go on to the next one. Um, it's a little bit difficult. It's, it's more challenging to do in a group setting where you have people learning at sure, different paces. Sure. Um, and uh, sometimes you have to adjust your expectations a little bit. Um, we, we build into our program a lot of what, what uh, I like to call disguised repetition. So, mm-hmm. for example... Um, <clears throat> Like, just pick a, a random beginner class we might teach at City Wing Chun. So, um, w- w- I teach everything according to a cyclical curriculum. So, the students come in, they see on the board what they're going to do. They know if you're at Sunum Tao level, you're doing this and this. The Q mm-hmm. beginners are here. The advanced people are here. So, um, it's all standardized, and the students have cards with the entire curriculum, depending on what level they are. And that gets checked off that they've learned stuff. That way with such a sizable student base, we have to keep track of what students know. And if if they're absent and they miss something, we also know that they missed, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, for example. Right. So, um, What we what I like to do is uh, we build this into our lesson plans. It's called disguised repetition. So, for example, a super beginner lesson, they might learn, um, for example, ganda, all right, against maybe like a low punch or something really Mm -hmm. simple. And then we would have um, a footwork exercise, like staying, uh, you know, chasing a moving opponent. Your partner moves back and staying on them with chain punches. And then we might have an application from to keep somebody from doing a very basic tackle like a a double gum zone move your leg out of the way kind of thing right and so they learn these three separate things in the class but they're actually not separate because what we do is we first start them with the drill and they they learn just how to do the, the ganso against the low punch and then we have them coordinated with the hand and then we have them learn the step and then we have them coordinated with the step and then we have them do it against a live attack Mm-hmm. And then once you do it against a live attack, we put that away. And then we do this footwork drill where they're chasing their opponent or their partner. And then we show them the drill on how to stop somebody from tackling you. And then the new drill is they stand there. The person goes for a low punch. They go and defend. He tries to move away. They follow them. And then suddenly he tries to go to wrestle them. And they have to apply that one. So they now have to – we've essentially taught three things in a one-hour class. That's fantastic. But we do it step by step. And then at the end, we put it together. And yes – um, I mean, they're beginners, so they're not going full out on sparring. But there is a certain amount of, um, even though it's within certain parameters, there's a certain amount of adjustment they have to do, so they start to learn to use the movements flexibly. And that would be like a beginner class. Right. And then we have a lot of what we call disguised repetition. Because at the end of the day, we taught them, oh, the guy attacks you, step in, stay on him. If he tries to wrestle, you control. And that's it.
1: Right, and, and that progressive resistance training... That you just just described as perfect, and that's the reason you can't learn Wing Chun on a on a YouTube video, and you need a school or teacher like Alex. You know, th- that kind of the thought that went into that is on is on a level that you just don't find even in many schools. You know what I mean? So I, one of the frustrating things I hear, and I have to go as a sidebar, is when people are saying that they're learning their their system in their basement, so off of YouTube, right. Let's play that on repeat, what he just described to you. The amount of thought that just went into that, the way he runs his school. You know, you just... This is why you need an instructor. This is why I really believe one of the major reasons you need an instructor is for things like that. You know, when um, and when I was in Brooklyn, I was teaching just straight Jeet Kune Do. We used to do something similar in the, the, the hidden repetitions kind mm-hmm. of thing. I didn't call it that. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know... Um, we would take an idea and hide the idea within a series of drills. The series of drills would be, you know, we'd say to fight the boredom. The student didn't have to realize that the, that they were doing this one thing over and over and over again. And you, you just say like, okay, um, this idea of someone's throwing coming at you with jab cross, you know. And we would work this idea of like, you know, stepping off to the side with a with a cut punch, and then come in like cross hook cross. Mm-hmm. And then the next, and we'd work that drill a little bit, and then we'd work like jab cross, and it'd be like cat catch cut punch, you know knee, mm-hmm. you know, and then cat you know catch cut punch knee, and then we'd run that drill for a little while, and you'd work work work, and then it could be like you know cat cut punch, whatever the guy would come and come bob weave, and then hook cross hook. And in my notes for the night, we I because what I would do is I would put down the, the main topic and who was there so mm-hmm. I could watch and see who was doing what. It would, I, I was just working the cut punch, the step-off angle for the cut punch. Right, right. Everything else for the night yeah. was just gravy. Yes. it was. A, and the students were in their in their heads saying, well, what did you cover tonight? Oh, well, we did bob and weave off of this. We did this. We did this. We did, this, we did that. All they did in my notes... Was step off cut punch. right because right. that was the primary focus, yes. and yes. once you understand what the focus of of a of a drill or a series of drills, it helps you stay focused, but you can't let yourself become distracted and so what's different than say a bunch of switches in lopsau versus what I was just doing and what Alex was just doing was a, a bunch of a bunch of switches in lopsau lead to bad habits, a bunch of switches in lopsau take away from the initial purpose of the drill what we're doing it's just enhancing the, the initial lesson of the drill you know that's Absolutely. it's
0: Absolutely. If the
1: idea if, so i'm doing i say we'll do like say i cut this angle cut into something i'm th- we're not ruining the integrity of the angle cut but if you're literally going you know pop. Doing popsal lopsal a lopsa Joe pop da, and it gets to the point where every every rotation of in your head instead of thinking proper structure, instead of thinking punching straight, as opposed to like you see guys start doing back fists right. instead of like a punch. Right. It, I, and I think that's all because of, of they're worried more about the changes. Is he going to change on me now? I got to be right. ready for this change. Sure. And you're taking away from your training partner. You're taking yeah. away the focus from your training partner.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a problem when, when you know and, and I think that's the reason why sometimes when we teach things that kind of progressive resistance way of doing it is usually the way to go because it's kind of how you can add variety but still teach the same thing. Right. And and in that way you can, you know, give the students a very satisfying hour long, hour and a half long class, whatever it is, um, where you essentially, like your example, you taught them you know, step offline, do a cut punch, where that's kind of the main note takeaway for the end of the day. Right. But maybe you use five different things to kind of teach that.
1: Right, sure. And,
0: and so, um, and I think that, that that's essentially how our entire lesson plan is done, because, you know, when you have, when you have a large group, you have to, you have to make sure that the classes are fun. Absolutely. And how do you make a class fun and still teach them, you know, yeah, what hire me to come know. there. Hire you Sean. That's exactly how you do it. And, <laughs> and I it, bring the funny motherfucker. That's right. As you can tell. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and and that seems to be a formula, but it also seems to not just be a way to keep students happy and having fun, but also it seems to be a much better way to present the material because, you know, um, martial art, traditional martial arts let's say Wing Chun um, because it's the main example when we talk about traditional martial arts tend to suffer from two main problems you either have people who are unbelievably overly traditional so it's like you just do this one thing right and then you're going and you're not going to do anything else you can't ask any questions you know, and, and you're never going to get any context or anything like that. And then you have the people that essentially turn a Wing Chun class into a fight club. Right. And it's like, oh, here's a couple Wing Chun moves. Here's a Pak Here's a Tan Sao. Here's a Bong Sao. Okay, go ahead and put a helmet on and gloves and then go and do that stuff. And then so you have kind of like – that is for me the two opposite extremes. Sure. And perhaps a, th- a third one are, are the people who believe in – kind of a chi and all that kind of magical nonsense right but i leave them kind of out of the thing right, i'm just right, talking right. about in terms of of kind of orthodox wing chun you have people that are like oh you don't need all the, the drills and stuff like that just learn a couple basics and then you're good to go and then you have the people who are like no you need to do bong Sao for eight years before you learn tan so type thing and and then <laughs> so wing chun tends to suffer from these kind of extreme dichotomies by the way speaking of the third one did you hear what happened in china last week
1: yeah, that the uh, With the, tai the Tai Chi, chi guy, guy, the yeah, guy, Yeah, 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 talk about it a little so, bit.
0: So, um, yeah, and and so if you if you it's all over Google, it's all over the, the social media or whatever. So a, a Chinese MMA guy, so uh, a Chinese practitioner of MMA, basically had some kind of open challenge to traditional Chinese martial artists, and his first victim <laughs> was uh, somebody who uh, was apparently a a master or a grandmaster of thunder style tai chi Mm, okay all right and it's not to disparage tai chi or whatever i have a lot of really good friends who practice tai chi and and there's some really great uh, tai chi practitioners out there and also for what tai chi is if you have a really good and solid instructor there's a lot of fantastic life-changing benefits from it Um, my issue is when somebody who primarily trains tai chi forms um thinks that that forms training or their push hands training is going to translate into um there's an a, an mma athlete standing in front of them who wants to punch them in the face okay now wing chun people suffer from the same thing this isn't to put tai chi in a box or anything like that there's plenty of wing chun people out there who think that because they've learned the forms or they learned some Qi sao or whatever that that somehow is equates one-to-one to the same type of fighting skill that somebody who practices MMA has, and and this is unfortunately not the case. And so this uh, Chinese MMA guy knocked out the Tai Chi guy in within ten seconds. Ouch! Yeah, so it, it was not it was not even like you know yeah it, like the Tai Chi guy tried to engage him and wrestle him. So it was like there was like really no chance. And now this guy has you know. He's now become a bit of a pariah because he has essentially insulted all of the Chinese martial arts people saying, you know, Chinese martial arts are dated and they suck and, you know, I can beat all of them. And, of course, it's like, well, you know, that's kind of an old message. It's also kind of a safe thing to say at this point, you know what I mean, in the age of MMA and things like that, that most traditional Chinese martial arts are probably not. Um, up to the standard of like a professionally trained MMA fighter. But the problem is he's also Chinese. So it's really aggravating the Chinese that basically a Chinese person is uh, using what they would consider Western martial arts. I mean, we know Brazilian jiu-jitsu originally came from Japan. And there's obviously a lot – and Thai boxing is an Asian martial art. There's obviously a lot of Asian influence in MMA. But um, essentially to the most part – for the most part, MMA is viewed as a uh, Western thing, right? Um, So now he's going off challenging other – Chinese martial arts people, and um, there is a Hong Kong businessman who's so fed up with this guy that he's put up like $1.4 million to any Chinese traditional Chinese martial arts guy who defeats this guy. That's awesome. So, uh, so now it's becoming a thing. But one of the things I think the guy did, like it, it's a legit thing to say, hey, look, some of these guys who practice Tai Chi in a park, they need to understand that that does not equate to fighting skill. That doesn't mean that Tai Chi is no right. good. But you can't talk about somebody who goes into an MMA gym and does boxing and hits the pads and wrestles and does jiu and Thai boxing and goes into the ring against resisting opponents and then thinking that your mastery of the thundercloud form and your ability in push hands somehow is going to equate to keeping this guy from putting the hurt on you, right? Yeah. So um, – th- it's understandable that he wants to make that statement, but he really pissed people off because he insulted Bruce Lee. And no, he said, no, and I want to fight yeah, And he said, and if you put Bruce Lee in front of me, like in his prime or whatever, I would also knock him out in 10 seconds. Ooh. So, and then that was the part where it was kind of like... Yo, bro, I was with you on the message of getting the, the Chinese, the t- very traditional Chinese guys who believe in that, and the Tai Chi master fought was not an old guy; it was just somebody who really believed in that stuff. Right? right? right. And I love Chinese martial arts, and I believe sure. that Wing Chun is very practical if it's taught correctly and in the right way. Um, but I, it was like, bro, I was with you until you talk shit about Bruce Lee. You know what I mean? <laughs> because first of all, a big part of MMA, a big part of the idea, and a big, a big part of. What's wrong with traditional martial arts? Bruce Lee was already saying that in the 60s. Sure. You know, and, and, and the thing is, it's like, um, you know, say what you want about Bruce Lee. Now you get the comparisons. Of how would Bruce Lee fare if he was in an MMA fight or whatever? But the, the thing is like, but you have to always put people in the context of the right. time period exactly that they grew right. up in, right? You can also say the same thing about Helio Gracie and say, well, if you put Helio at his prime in a jujitsu tournament, not even an MMA tournament against the high-level jiu-jitsu guys who are out now, right. I don't know how well he would fare. And if you put him in an MMA fight in his prime men with the guys who are here now, I don't know how well he would fair. Does sure. that in any way tarnish the tremendous accomplishments of what that man did as a pioneer? Not at all. And people are so ready to kick down this. Up. And we have to realize that whether we do Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do or MMA or Brazilian jiu-jitsu – we are standing on the shoulders of these people. Absolutely. And they are the ones who paved the way for us to be doing what we're doing. And they are the ones who created this. And then to go here and be like, oh, you know, oh, Bruce Lee is nothing or Haley Gracie is nothing or whatever. It's it, it not only talks for a complete lack of respect, which should be taught in martial arts, but also just a complete lack of understanding about the context in, in the times which people are in. Look at the, even the MMA fighters from 10 years ago. Wouldn't be able to hang with the top guys from now. So, what do you think is going to be the case thirty years from now? You know what I mean, where people are going to be like, "Well, is Anderson Silva really the greatest, or was GSP really the greatest?" When we've now had thirty years from now, generations of people who, quite frankly, will probably be head and shoulders better than them.
1: Right, right, right. So,
0: you you know, but does that denigrate? They were those people in the landscape of the time period they were in and that's what made them great and 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 so i think that's my only issue with this uh with this mma guy challenging these tai chi guys
1: don't mess with bruce lee come on yeah you can't talk shit
0: about bruce lee come on
1: you know and speaking about bruce lee um Mm. there's a big thing in uh, jkd um, saying whether he was the uh, father of mma or not Mm -hmm. right and guys get real upset about regardless you know about whatever side they're on you know like is he the father of MMA? Not the father of MMA? And I kind of feel like, who cares?
0: How adorable is this? This is the little one. This is Lucia. And you want to come be on camera? Exhausted her yeah. attention span. Come here, Maria. Yeah. Oh, and the other one is too shy to be on camera. Go, you system. Go your system. All right.
1: So whether Bruce Lee should be... Looked at as a hero or not is one thing. Whether he was the father of MMA, you know what? Who cares? Why are people exactly. getting so upset about that? First of
0: all, and, and it's not even like Bruce Lee somehow claimed himself to be the father right. of MMA, and now it's a matter of defending a claim that he made. I mean, the, the, the man was dead for 30 years before that even became a thing. Where Bruce Lee,
1: Bruce Lee's relationship to MMA, whether you believe he's the father of MMA or not, I think we can all agree that he's one of the... Innovators in adding a modern training regime into martial arts. Sure. Okay, so whether he was into mixed martial arts—quote, emphasis on the word mixed—or not, regardless of what your outlook on that is, we can all agree that he had an innovative way of training. That the the, the guys that trained in his school—I say guys—I don't know if any girls trained in it. That's a good
0: question. Because Linda, she trained a little bit, especially in the early years.
1: Yeah. The the so the people that trained in his school were training as athletes with an athletic mindset. They were training as if it was a boxing gym. When you look at the pictures of the old Chinatown school, these guys were moving like boxers. They were, you know, moving around. they were working on heavy bags, speed bags, yeah. and all
0: those focus custom, mitts, custom pieces right, of custom equipment. custom
1: focus mitts, and you know that they were taking uh, catches mitts and and creating focus mitts out of them.
0: And nobody was doing that in the 60s. Right. I mean, and, and so people don't realize that. This kind of
1: innovation was something that I think came from boxing in that this idea of not that he was copying boxers or trying to incorporate boxing into MMA. He was trying to incorporate Methodologies. The, the methodology, yeah. right, the aliveness, the, the idea of moving with a purpose, As Steve Golden mentioned on the podcast, the idea of moving with a purpose, working with a live person in a progressively resisting thing, progressively resisting manner. So that was where Bruce Lee was an innovator in MMA.
0: And and he was doing this in the landscape of the 60s when nobody else was, was doing anything like that. The karate tournaments at that time, for the most part... Um, were point-based. Right. You know, you, you know, had this kick landed on you, it would have been a death blow, so I get a point. Right, exactly. Right? And, and, and so he was the first one to say, like, we're going to put on, like, chest guards and helmets and right. these big Kenpo gloves. Catch and masks. And, 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 and we're going to actually see what's what. And nowadays we take that for granted because that's kind of what everyone's doing. And, and But he was really the first one to do it. And... He came from a traditional Chinese martial arts background. He wasn't even American. I mean, he, I mean, he, he yeah, he was American. He had citizenship or whatever. But he grew up in Hong Kong, right? And he came here as a total outsider and ended up being more innovative than the people who had grown up in this country. And America is a country that's known for its innovation. And he was basically a Chinese guy who came in and did this in the landscape of extremely racist sixties, yeah, right? Absolutely. And and while that's totally taken for granted now, I mean, it, it's it's pretty remarkable that he did this given his background and. That he had done all this stuff by age thirty-two. Right. Pe- people also always forget that it's like you think nowadays, with the ability to reach a mass audience, we can do podcasts now. Right. We can, uh, you know, we can go live on Facebook. We have Facebook. We have all these things, and you have to mention none of these things existed. But he was able to make an impact, the likes of which um, people with m- two million following on youtube they, they don't have that kind of huge cultural impact that bruce lee had and so i find it really really just a bit ignorant to kind of take any issue with him and also like you know because first of all he never made any kind of claims as far as that goes the other thing too is in in you know every once in a while I listen to, uh, i really like joe rogan's podcast he's sure. got one of the best podcasts and he um you know every once in a while, like when the topic of Bruce Lee comes up, he, he will he 'll sing bruce lee's praises as an innovator and looking at right. his nose and things like that, and he 'll occasionally clown Bruce Lee too or whatever because i mean that 's kind of what he does, um, but he did say something uh, that actually bothered me on a podcast it was a few weeks ago he mentioned it 's a big misunderstanding and of course Joe Rogan is a huge audience, and, and so people listen to him and they kind of take what he says. You know, as, as as gospel to a certain degree, and the good thing about Joe Rogan is he, you know, he often will correct himself if right, he makes sure. a mistake, and and he's not, and this is not to say that he was purposely misleading anybody because he he's he's definitely not that dude to do that. But he said something like, "Well, you know, a lot of Bruce Lee's notes." were plagiarized from boxing books and well, I, he kind of basically said, well, I don't really know if maybe he should have credited them or something like that right, because that, he's, wrong. He, yeah, it's totally wrong. And anyone who knows right. Bruce Lee knows, wait a minute. Right. Um, in those days you didn't have a computer where you could just type up your notes or a phone where you have an app like Evernote where you can put in your notes or auto dictate like the same way we can do it now on our phones. You know, you wrote notes in your books, or you had a notebook and you liked this paragraph and this thing and you wrote it. Right. So at that time, there weren't really a lot of Kung Fu books. Um, thankfully for Bruce. So he had to get books on fencing, boxing, things like that. So he took notes on the books that were out there at the time. And these were his personal notes, right, his which personal looks, he worked, he were he never intended to be put out there. Right, and exactly. then when Linda Lee collected those things and put out the Dao Jeet Kune Do, which came out after his death, um, everyone was like, oh, this is great. And then a few years later, oh, but they totally plagiarized it. He didn't, those were his notes. Right. Exactly, and, and he right. never said that he was the one who wrote it. And so Bruce Lee, in that key, he gets unfairly charged with that when he those were just his personal notes that were never intended to to be seen by anybody else, you know. So um, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was that was kind of interesting. So.
1: And you know, the uh, you mentioned the uh, the Campo gloves, which so many people now call the JKD gloves. Right, Bruce Lee used them. Folks, they suck. They are horrible. Don't use them. Yeah, Bruce Lee used them in 1968. They're horrible. Don't use them. They're Unless you buy expensive ones, they're sewn up that they create seams to give it that look. And they use this plastic thread and the seams will cut you. The reason people spend a lot of money on good boxing gloves and good MMA gloves is that there's no exposed seams. And seams will cut you. And these MM, these Kempo JKD gloves... That Bruce Lee used back in 1968, while innovative at their time, are horrible today. Right. There's better products on the market. I get it, you want to look like Bruce Lee and you want to have the same gloves he used because it looks cool. It does. I get it. But for the safety of yourself and your training partners, don't use them anymore. Hang them on the wall. They'll look badass on the wall. (laughs) But if you use them, unless... If you're going to use them, make sure you buy good ones that do not have
0: exposed seams. Yeah, I think I had an expensive pair of those when I was a teenager. I saved up the money to get, like, the good ones. I mean, the advantage is they have kind of the... I mean, I don't use them now, I mean, but I had a pair when I was a teenager, um, is that they're thick, so you have the boxing glove feel. Right, of like right. There's enough padding where you don't feel like you just have a knuckle duster on your hands. Right, right, um, right. But at the same time, you can lapso and out, so, which I think, you know, given his Wing Chun background, was, was kind of what he was looking for, you know, so that he could also punch, but also grab and, and pack and things like that.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not mocking Lee for using so I think Lee was innovative in using them. I just think that right now we have other products available to us, and, and and I think we have to use, we have to follow Bruce Lee's lead and use use or create the most innovative things we can right now.
0: Yeah, given the technology we have now, what we know, all these kind of things. Right, exactly. and also by following his lead, we should uh, also wear the yellow JKD tracksuit. At Dude, first
1: types. of all, I would look freaking hot in the yellow JKD tracksuit, and when I say hot, I mean like me, a fat man in the desert. All that
0: <laughs> nylon, that would be like, and that, that that would actually be a great Halloween idea for both of us. You could go in the yellow tracksuit, and I could go as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the Hakim outfit, which is funny because I'm very short. <laughs> and then we could just go there, and then we could have a duel where you know wherever we go, and that would be like our shtick. I say we go for it.
1: I think. I think no.
0: You seem distracted by your phone, Sean. But well, are, I'm are trying you trying to... Are you trying to order the JKD tracksuit now? I should told, say the Game of Death tracksuit. I'm suit. actually
1: shocked. It's, it doesn't come in my size.
0: Wow. Wow. That's intense.
1: That really is annoying. <laughs> I, was, I was looking to see if there was any messages I wanted to respond to. Got it. The, uh, I do want to talk about one thing real quick. Um, on a little bit of a personal note, um, I, one of my students was awarded a full instructorship in Jeet Kune and to me, uh, Chris Kennedy. And it's uh, a long time coming. Dude's worked hard for so many years. He's with me for so many years. And he's an awesome dude. And um, I just wanted to say that, you know, if you live up in that area,
0: you should be training. What is that area, by the
1: way? Oh, you know what? I should have said that, huh? Yeah, right.
0: You know, and if you live up in that area and I'm but going, you know wait what? a minute. you know
1: what? He didn't pay me for that part. Oh, there you go. No-
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, he's be... up in Marblehead, Marblehead, uh, Massachusetts. Mm. And where's, where's Marblehead in relation to Boston? Because that's the only thing I know.
1: I'm from Brooklyn. I
0: uh-huh. know Brooklyn and not Brooklyn. Oh, so you don't know? That's so Marblehead's
1: not in Brooklyn.
0: Marblehead's not in Brooklyn. I'm actually going to be going there this summer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Have you ever driven in Massachusetts? No, I've been in a cab in Massachusetts. That's the reason why they call them mass holes, man. The driving there is unbelievable. Nicest people in the world, but holy crap when they get behind the wheel of a car. They make Jersey drivers look like they know what they're doing. Wow. Yeah, well, it's intense. I'm they're gonna, just like cutting over, no signals. no. It's insane. It's unbelievable.
1: Well, I'm actually looking forward to it a lot. I'm yeah. going to go visit uh, They have high
0: road rage potential over there. <laughs> Kristen Seth,
1: I'm going to go visit up there in uh, the Marblehead area. And we're gonna have some fun and
0: uh, awesome. Yeah, we also uh, yeah also on uh, on a personal note too. We, uh, I have um, as I mentioned before, this year's the 15 year anniversary of City Wing Chun, my school, and I have a yearly uh, week long training camp that I do. It's called the ITC or Intensive Training Camp. It's uh, you know Monday through Friday. It's six hours a day. Um, Very intense training, lots of sparring, lots of drilling. very, very hardcore. And then on the weekend, I usually have a guest instructor come over and teach for two days. So it's like a seven-day camp. Five days with me and then two days with a guest instructor. Well, this year, since it's the 15-year... Uh, anniversary of my school i decided to do something a little bit different and so instead of inviting one of my you know kung fu uncles or si bak or whatever from hong kong to come and teach a wing chun seminar i'm actually inviting uh, a hungar master Ma- Chi kong be me. <laughs> <laughs> i hear him i think he's gonna ask me on the air that's right sean Will you teach it my ITC? No. <laughs> oh, now he's totally dissed. No. <laughs> now this is going to be a sore point on every other podcast. No, it's okay. until it's
1: We can do hung up. <laughs>
0: So uh, my good friend, Mak-Ti Kong from Hong Kong, he's uh, uh, one of the most amazing Hongar masters I've, I've, I've ever seen and just one of, the, one of the best masters in Chinese Kung Fu in general. Um, his ability in, in, in the practical application of Chinese martial arts is, is unbelievable, including with the weapons. And his knowledge of Southern martial arts and Northern martial arts is really intense. So he's going to do a uh, workshop the first day where he's going to teach my students the difference between Northern styles and Southern styles in terms of like the DNA and how, how they... They are kind of developed. And then also uh, how Wing Chun and, and Hong Kun are quite similar and then show them some basic applications. And for my advanced students, he's going to uh, maybe do some long pole stuff with them, the original oh, Lam Sai nice. Wing, Lok Tim Bun Guan. So they'll get to see what the older ver- – the pre-Wing Chun version looked like. And then the second day, I have Sifu Jim Rosalando who's been a guest on this podcast before. And I will have him teach um, – uh, I would like him to teach the first half the original Tao form, which is the form that predates Siun Tao Before wow. that time, um, it was one long form. And then during the eighteen fifties that form got split into three parts and that became what we now know as Siram Tau But he knows the original long form. So uh, I want him to, to mm-hmm. come and teach that. Oh, no, that was my watch. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I want him to teach that uh, for the first half. And then the second half, I'll have him teach the Lang Chan, Pinsan, Wing Chan, and then maybe have him do some uh, long pole with my advanced guys. So my, my guys on that weekend, my advanced guys, will get to see some of the original Sai Wing long pole and then some of the um, Wing Chan long pole from the Lung Chan.
1: That's era. awesome.
0: So um, – and I figured that that would be pretty cool. And we also have a banquet on June 24th. It's a 15-year anniversary Wait, food.
1: Banquet. I got to be
0: involved in that. You, well, you're 100% invited to it. <laughs> that goes without saying. Um, and uh, it's down in Chinatown. Uh, we're going to put all this information on um, – the, you know, CFO Alttrichter page, City Wing Chun page starting next week. So if you guys happen to be in New York and you want to come to our 15-year anniversary banquet, I got guests coming from Hong Kong. Uh, We have lots of my Kung Fu friends, my students. There'll be demonstrations, things like that. Um, June 24th, Saturday in the evening around 6 o'clock. You got to buy a banquet ticket in advance to go. Um, We'll have all that stuff uh, ready for you guys. You guys are more than welcome to come down. Sean will be there so uh you can meet the dudes if you want to come down so that'd be awesome and uh looking uh very much forward to seeing you guys there if you want to do that and if you guys want to do the week-long course especially if you guys come from a wt or learning tank background which makes a little bit more sense um you guys are more than welcome to sign up to do the itc although the spots are limited books up pretty quickly and i cap it at about 40 people because uh, beyond that it gets kind of nutty so no, um, sure yeah, yeah yeah so uh yeah and and that's that so uh, what do, you got,
1: what do you got coming up this week for you? Anything good going on?
0: Well, uh, finishing touches on the chunky book. Um, I got a bunch of projects that are uh, coming down the line in terms of going to Hong Kong and doing some very, very cool stuff, which uh, once everything is settled, I'll, I will be more than happy to announce on the podcast. We'll let our listeners know. Uh, but, yeah, a trip to Hong Kong is coming late in summer and uh, perhaps a few more uh, a few more this year as well. So nice. We good So, yeah, lots for you. of stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, was there anything else you wanted to add?
1: No, for me, I'm working on some stuff in Wing Chun that I never worked on before with my Sifu, and I'm having a lot of, you know, that's going to be a lot of fun, and um, and, and guitar.
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. I want to be
1: the next Stevie Ray Vaughan in my with my guitar. Oh, right. Uh Switch from country Lord music. What about Billy Ray Cyrus? Okay, so I used to play a lot, mostly country music, but uh-huh. now I've been trying to learn how to play the blues. Uh huh. And I don't feel like like the blues at all, but right. But uh, I'm I'm like. Really, I wasn't ever really exposed to it. Sure. And now that I've been exposed to it, I've fallen in love with this style of music. Oh, I see. And um, so, of course, my wife doesn't believe me that this requires me buying another guitar. <laughs> but, That's the tough sell. <laughs> but um, I'm having a lot of fun learning how to play the blues. And, um, you know, things are good. And, uh, oh, by the way, folks that have written in for the autographed pictures of, uh, of the dudes, we had them. And they will be going out. I have all your addresses. That sounds scary. I know yeah. where you live. I know where you live. I looked at Google Maps, <laughs> and some of okay. you live in scary neighborhoods. So I'm
0: going to mail them. Yeah. But, the other but, ones uh, will
1: be delivered personally by
0: Sean by we hand. Just,
1: we just had a, uh, a whole case of these delivered to us. Oh God! And uh, Alex and I have been sitting here. <laughs> we'll, at-
0: we'll, we'll hold on to most of that case for the rest of our lives. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Alex, I can tell you, Alex and I have just signed every freaking photo we had printed which was
0: a number that you wouldn't believe. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, intense, I'll tell you that much. It was int. it was like the fire at the circus. So it was intense.
1: We're going to take a second moment on the house, buy some postage and mail these things out. And um
0: and uh we will see you guys next week. Cool. And as always guys, like us on Facebook, follow Dudes of Kung Fu on Twitter and write in any messages you want to the uh facebook page and let us know what you think about the podcast and any topics you might have uh even if it might get us a couple take us a couple seasons to get to you uh feel free to share these episodes when they come out it really helps us a lot and go on to itunes and android on the um podcast apps and review the podcast so when people are totally new to it see those reviews it makes them more likely to uh, listen to the podcast and subscribe and let everyone else know about it uh and that's it for this week we'll see you guys soon Hey guys.